I'm Carlo, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and this is my podcast. With this project, I want to explore the means, methods, tools, and examples of living on purpose, living the life we want, doing the things that light us up, things that make us feel like we're alive, growing, making a difference, and enjoying the process along the way. Welcome to It's the Journey. So Rafe Williams is my guest today. So Rafe Williams, a comedian, character, improviser, podcaster. Uh, he's produced his own comedy album, Young Grandpa, which is available in all the places you'd expect, Apple and Spotify and places like that. Um, he travels around the country doing stand-up, you know, as well as here in St. Louis, voted funniest person in St. Louis in 2017, does commercials, was on a late night show, STL Up Late, does open mic nights, pilots, he's always doing something new. Uh, from, from, from where I sit, you know, the, he's the proverbial, you know, hardest working guy in show business. Um, he's super funny, but he takes his craft very seriously. And um, from, from, uh, from, again, from where I sit, I see him working tirelessly, knocking out his goals, hitting milestones, and um, working super hard. And race funny, kind, intelligent, and has one of the biggest hearts that I've come across. And for me personally, he's my friend and uh, played an important part in my life as my first, you know, Herald team improv coach. So with that as kind of an overview, let's dive in and meet Rafe. So, Rafe. What's up? Welcome, welcome to It's the Journey, man. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for coming. It's good to be here. It's good to be out of my house. <laughs> yeah. It's good to put shoes on for the first time this week. <laughs> I know. Like uh, you start looking at like in different pants to wear, you know, you like have to go out in public. Yeah. Well, thanks to COVID and Postmates, I'm down to about one pair of pants, so that decision was easy. <laughs> that were <worked>. okay. <laughs> and that's the Steve Jobs thing, right? Or is it he the guy that always wore? Yeah. All right. That's my that's where my black V-neck uh, theory came from where I was just like it's one less decision. Okay. Uh, and also, once you get once you tip the scales at a certain weight, uh, they don't make clothes for you. They, they only make bowling shirts. Yeah. So <laughs> you either dress like Charlie Sheen from Two and a Half Men, or you wear black because it's slimming. That's your, pretty much your two choices. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, we got to get to put on uh, real clothes and leave the house. And, yeah. Uh, and just, yeah, we're, we're you know. So some of my guests we do uh, we do recordings with Zoom, and for some people in St. Louis we meet here in Shock City Studios. And uh, so thanks for joining us here. Um, yeah. Um, so um, again, what I, I wanted to I've I've said to you before, like you you inspire me in the things that you're doing and the things you're working on, and you know again with the theme of the show being it's the journey. Uh, I'd like to kind of kind of dive into some of those things. Like, what what drives you, you know, to to keep working on your goals and keep pushing through those milestones or the dominoes, like you taught you taught me. So you, right now, your your main focus is is comedy. Sure. And like, so where where did that passion come from first? Like, what when did you know you wanted to do that? Uh 
I wanted to do, I mean, I kind of, you know it at a young age. I think most comics know they're a comic at a young age, whether you act on it then or not, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, I was reading in the Wikipedia of the sad clown syndrome, uh, and it was like a, a pretty much a personal checklist of like, <laughs> oftentimes come from a, a, a broken home. They find comedy uh, arises early as a defense mechanism, as something they can have control over. Uh to lighten tense situations at home. And I'm like, check, check. Often act out at school and get approbation of adults. I'm like, check. <laughs> so I kind of went out. I'm like, I should probably go to therapy and talk about a few of these things. Um, but I think I knew as a kid, like in third grade, and I, you know, I've told this story, like they have you write a letter at the beginning of the year that's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like astronaut, fireman, trash truck driver, you know, whatever you're into. And then you open it at the end of the school year to see if you've changed, you know. And mine was comedian. In third grade. In third grade. And That's it was, awesome. Didn't cha- my mind had not been changed. And I didn't start trying to do it until I was 33, which is, a, that's an interesting gap. Yeah. Of knowing and acting and that, you know, that's, uh, fear can be very paralyzing. It <laughs> can take Dude. you a long time to get where you need to go. Uh, but, yeah, so that's kind of where it started. I realized my dad was kind of, uh, you know, blue collar, stiff upper lip. Uh, my wife and kids are my property and will be treated as such. Strict, abusive at times. I don't want to take a dark turn, but like, yeah. you know, that became, when he was gone, I would do an impression of him and make fun of him. And it would make my mom and my brothers laugh. <laughs> and I was the oldest of three yeah. boys, so I took the brunt of a lot of stuff at home. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I just realized that I could do characters and, like, tell jokes and, like, it would be a break in that tension at home, you know? And, like, I could make my mom smile and everybody wants their mom to smile and laugh, right? Like, that's the first person's approbation we seek. So, once I got that, it was just, like, then it spread, like, come in here and do this for our... When friends would come over to play cards or something or have coffee, she'd have me do the thing for them. And I was like, this feels good, you know? And I think it just... The seed was planted and that's... And here we are. That's cool. A few different things at that. So like, yeah, that, sure. that fits in with like what I know about you as a person is that you, you're just kind and I feel like you like to take care of people. And laughter, laughter feels so good. Mm. And so that, you know, first doing that with your mom is very, you know, is a very primal thing that we have as a kid to like take care of the people that we love that are closest to us. And then that the idea that that's spreading and I just just see the way you help other people, at, and that helping people laugh is a is a huge thing. Um, and then knowing, you know, you talk about the gap between third grade and thirty three is a big big gap. As you're telling that story, I remembered one time when I was a kid, um, it wasn't school, but a buddy of mine's like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" <laughs> and in my brain, I had I was like, "I'm going to be a truck driver." Oh he's yeah. Like, he's like, "Why?" I'm like, because I get paid to drive all over the country and see things. Yeah. So like, you know, in my third, I was, it was probably about third, fourth grade. Like that's when I knew I wanted to travel and not having money. I was like, my, my third, fourth grade brain, whatever, however all it was, figured it, oh, that's how I'm going to do it. And it, yeah, and it's and then that's and that's what I'm doing now as much as I can. Well, pre, you know, pre-COVID, post-COVID, right? <laughs> so, um, that's cool. That's cool that you can point it back to that something so clearly. 
I'd like to see Carlo the truck driver. <laughs> I, I would not be a good Just truck driver. Just on your CB, like with a, <laughs> with a caterpillar hat with those little gold flakes on the uh, on the bill. I had, you know? a, I had a Peterbilt hat. Oh, so, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Peterbilt hat, big old thermos of coffee. I was super proud of that, man. Yeah. It's an interesting... Something probably we won't delve into, but I'm interested in also like the way society... And I mean, people, you do change, obviously, but like the simplest thing about that sentence was like, it wasn't, a, it wasn't even a simplistic view of a child of like, I want to drive, I might, I can't wait to drive. You know, it was like, oh, I get to travel around the country and see things, and like how easily those types of things get pushed to the wayside. Uh, you know, as society kind of tells us who to be. Yeah, because that, I mean, that definitely happened. In my life, you know, like, I grew up in a town of 500 people, a little coal mining town called Dowell, Illinois, and I don't think, there weren't a lot of comedy clubs uh, <laughs> in Dowell. There yeah. were four taverns, uh, so that was a that was something easy to get into. Yeah. But, you know, and it's interesting that, like, uh, the way you kind of can get pushed off that of, like, well, that's, that's not something to aspire to, you yeah. know, but, like, Truck drivers ball. They make good money. They yeah. don't get any respect. Farmers, truck drivers, prison guards. They always get every movie. Pop culture treats them like garbage. Yeah. Well, that was the response I got from my friend. Is like, why would you want to be that? Yeah. Because like his parents were telling him, you got to go to college. You got to go to college. You got to have this <clears throat> professional career. And you have all this debt. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think twice about it. You know, my. Sure. Yeah. So. But yeah, there's so many. Yeah, yeah. That's we. There's so many, so many jobs people could be doing that would be simpler, and they'd be happy, and and uh, they, yeah, they wouldn't come out with you know my piles and piles of debt. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was riding in the. I was driving through like farm country with Tina, my girlfriend, and she was like, you know, I wonder if I could farm, and I was just like, no. Those guys go to school. They get our agricultural degrees. <laughs> they know how to. They're so financially stable. They know how to co-sign for a loan. Like, you know how much a combine costs? It's like a quarter million dollar vehicle. Yeah. Like we can't even get financed for like a two bedroom bungalow in South City, and you're not going to get financed. <laughs> you're not going to walk into a bank and be like, "I think I want to farm." I don't I know anything about acres, seeds. So. I don't know anything. I don't have any land. <laughs> Can I get a quarter million dollar loan for a combine? Like they're gonna laugh you out of the building. But people think that about farmers. They're mm -hmm. just like, well, you put it in the ground and you wait. You know, <laughs> like, no, there's there's definitely a lot of science happening there. Heck yeah. But when you see them in the movies, they're always like, I'm just a dumb farmer, an alien landed on my barn. You know, it's like <laughs> Right. Same thing with prison guards. They always got their feet up on the table, like reading a magazine. My brother's a prison guard. He guard he protects us from some of the most dangerous people in society on a daily basis. Like it's a thankless job. <laughs> yeah. Every movie that's just, they're just feet on a desk waiting to be killed by the protagonist yeah. is pretty much what's happening. Uh, Tom Hanks and Green Green Mile, though, those are good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. There's an exception to every rule, I uh, suppose. Stephen King, though. But the other guard was a real piece of shit. Yeah, that's right. He wasn't dumb. He was just a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I digress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so you knew, so you knew early again. So that was the other thing. So the and then you, you, I mean, so knowing that, and then some of the 
way you, you the the maybe disrupting class and things like that. That's a very mm. that's a very different pattern than you know. I know, like you were in the army. That, mm-hmm. Was that with 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 who you are and uh, the 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 that fact pattern you talked about from youth? Did that conflict with being in the army, or did that change you in any way? Yeah, I was not a great soldier. I was a good. I, I take that back. Basic training, I did really well. Because I played sports and like I understood like goals and achievement and like, you know, you we're going for this run and you got to get a good score on your PT test. And it was very like bang, 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 bang. You had all these goals and obstacles. It was when I got out of basic and like, because I spent the majority of my time in the National Guard. Okay. So at this time they were doing like a, a deal where you could like do a year of train, year of like regular army, knock all your training out. And then you could either go into the army and finish three years or go home and do six years in National Guard. Seven, what would be seven, six years and then two inactive. And okay. I went home and I, I did the National Guard. Okay. So um, I didn't like that part. I didn't like the, and, and I don't think I would have liked in the regular army too. Like once you got out of basic, it was, a, it just becomes a job. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of like, it's not a square peg round hole. They don't like people that, or like, uh, you guys notice this peg square? <laughs> Not really? <laughs> like, yeah, we just jam it in there, like we told you. And I'm like, well, we what if we got a round peg? <laughs> and they're just like, that's insubordination. And I'm like, no, that's just a better idea, <laughs> right? So there wasn't a lot. So yeah, I mean, I was definitely like a ham in the, but I still was good enough at my job, the soldier part, that I got away with it. Okay, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't do anything that cost my platoon anything. Like, I would tow the line when I had to, and then I would... But, like, on our graduation, I did a whole... I did an impersonation of all seven of our drill sergeants <laughs> in front of everyone's family. They have, like, this family thing, and, like, I, I sold every drill sergeant out and just roasted them. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, like, all super pissed. When I get, Like, the one drill sergeant who was super nice to me, like, uh, I just... I went all in on him on the impression and like made fun of how much he farted and <laughs> and uh, I could tell it hurt his feelings which is an interesting dynamic to have the guy that's been telling you you're a piece of shit <laughs> right. for like 26 weeks because when I went it was like it was called one station unit training so we did it we did our basic and our AIT all with the same people so we had the same drill sergeant from day one okay. to week 28 and they treated you they never like treated you better wasn't like you're in week 20 now private i respect you like they just hate they just treat you like shit the whole time so then to see like the hurt in his eyes when i went to leave with my family and he's like have a nice life private you know he like wouldn't look me in the eye i always felt kind of guilty about it but i'm like there's no vanity in comedy bro you've been riding me for 26 weeks you don't act surprised you had this coming. Right. Uh, yeah. I so, thought we had something. <laughs> yeah, I would like, well, I was walking off stage and I'd walk back on and do a different impersonation of each drill sergeant. So even then, like, 
There was a performance. Because <laughs> I would do it in the barracks, like when they weren't around. I snuck in his office and put his uniform on one time. Oh, and was my like gosh. walking around yelling. At, if I had gotten caught, I would have been in so much trouble. Oh, my gosh. Because I put on like his military dress uniform. I didn't oh put on. Oh, my gosh. I didn't put on like his. <laughs> Not as just the fatigues. Hat. No, yeah, it was the hat. I put the hat and but like the. The army dress greens with all of his medals and Holy stuff was in his smokes, office, and I, I put his jacket on. It was, <laughs> if man, if I would have gotten caught, <laughs> I might still be in the army. I might just still be <laughs> like you're in the army forever, and you're just doing push-ups until you die. <laughs> like, <I don't, laughs> you just have no army. But I didn't, and it killed. So what? <laughs> that's that's commitment right there, man. Yeah. Um. Well, because I was curious about that because you've got a good balance. And I think it's important, you know, whether, whether a lot of artists maybe, you know, and I consider you know, comedy and theater and art, right? So they be they can be really, really good at their craft, but they don't have the practical side of them. Or it's like a, there's a business side, there's yeah. the practical self-management side, self-discipline oh, yeah. side. Mm. They've got this all the ideas of things they want to do and create. And I even think about this like some people's like I've known artists that have said, oh, I just wish I could. It'd be great if things were like the Renaissance because the the church just handed out money. You could just do all. And it wasn't like it wasn't like that. It, it, you know, you, you, there was the people that succeeded were good at figuring out how to how to network and how to build a reputation and how to get contracts and stay on the good side of you know the people that had money. Um, and so I see that today with various artists that I know. Some people are really good at that, and, you, and that's something. You you are good at it. Like I, I, we we talk and you'll oh I, I was writing this and I'm writing that and I'm pitching this and I'm pitching that and then when you're on stage, um, you're watching you do your craft. It just seems so effortless and like you're having fun and you've got this ability to present a joke and it sounds like you're you know that I I love comics that can do that where they can. It sounds like it's something you just thought of. Sure, the grand delusion yeah. of stand-up comedy. Is <laughs> yeah. Repetition that looks like it's uh, off the top of your head. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, all those things do. Comedy is fun and freeing and creative and artistic, but it's also a business, and there's times I don't like it. I mean, I was just, you know, there are times that you have to balance, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with game theory. Everything's a game. And it's like, I don't like playing the... There's times when I'm like, I'm not playing this game. Even if it costs me work. Because you do still have to have... have to decide like where your moral ambiguity line is at. Where I'm like, I'm not just going to like... I'll be kind to people. And, uh, and I'll try to be like thoughtful. And, you know, I'm not saying that there's not like... There's things you have to do, you know, but then there's also, you know, there's also times when it's like, well, if I have to do that to work there, I just won't work there. And like good or bad, there, there are times that like that comes up and it's hard because you do want it. And you want, you got to want it as bad as you want to breathe. And you, there's days I do, but it's like at what you got to be careful, the cost you're willing to pay too, you know, mm -hmm. and trust the universe that another opportunity might lay in waiting and that, you know, this thing that you want, if it means some sort of 
moral sacrifice that you're not willing to make. And believe me, I have no moral high horse. Like, I've done more than my shared dirt. I was a despicable human for at least 10 years of my life. So, but I also think that, you know, that experience made me who I am today, which makes me less likely to budge on things like that. Okay, okay. I don't know. That wasn't exactly what you were talking about, but that popped into my head while you were. Well, no, that's interesting. It's like, um, so when you said there's parts of it you don't like, I was thinking of like, you know, you don't like working through contracts or you don't like scheduling or things like that versus actual jobs that someone might offer you. Mm. Um, but so I, but, but that's interesting. So yeah, both of them are kind of helpful, I think, for people, whatever they're doing in life to understand. And maybe you can. Yeah, you have to learn that there's a business side. It's show business. You know, it ain't show friends, it's show business. And like sometimes it's hard not to get hurt feelings. Everybody's like on their own journey. Sometimes, you know, it, and it's easy to spiral out and be like, feel like you're not being respected or feel, you know, just like any job. Mm -hmm. You know, there are times there'll be comedians that I'll help or... You know, and I'll notice like, oh, I, they don't even follow me on Instagram, but I follow them. Like, yeah. and I've helped them get work and like worked with them and they didn't even like buy. But then that's like, that's not healthy. That social media vortex is not healthy at all. Yeah. But like, I still, I'm pretty firm about that stuff, but there's days that I'm just like, huh, I hope I didn't. And then I, you internalize that as a human and you're like, I hope I didn't do something to offend them or. Yeah. Oh, maybe they didn't have a good time hanging out with me. Like, it's never me being like, fuck that person. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not narcissistic enough to be like, and sometimes that might help in this business to be just like, don't follow me, fuck you, unfollow. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, I'm, I always internalize it that maybe I did something that like, oh, maybe I hurt their feelings or made them upset or maybe I didn't, maybe I wasn't present, you know, in the moment. And it's like, you got to kind of, you still got to fight all those fucking demons no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something also about you is that, and not everybody's this way. Like, <clears throat> over the years I've known you, if I had something I was excited about, I, you're, you're a person I'll share it with because you'll get excited. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not something you're into or you're doing, you, you are a supportive person of somebody doing what they're excited about. Right, yeah. And not everybody is that way. You know, I've, I've just some of my projects. There's some people I've learned to just not talk to them about anything because mm -hmm. I feel, I don't know, you feel a weird. Re and I've learned enough from like therapy that they're not reacting to me. They're reacting to some own self judgment they have of themselves about maybe feeling bad and then comparing. And, and yeah. I'm like, okay, it's okay, but you have to like protect when you're, when you're being vulnerable and throwing something of yourself out there. Oh, yeah. Um, you got to kind of protect your confidence and know when and who maybe to share things with as you're in the beginning phases of that. Yeah, I don't think that ever changes either. And also, like, I've had the bottom get pulled out. I've had the rug pulled out from under me and stuff that I've, like, shared too early because I got excited. And then you got to eat crow and be like, yeah, guy, actually, that, uh, remember that project? When's that coming out, man? Yeah. Uh, actually, they pulled the plug on it, you know, like, Funding fell through. And also, like, I am very self-conscious about the line between being excited about something and being perceived as, like, braggadocious mm -hmm. or... 
I don't ever want to be that. I don't ever want to be. You don't ever want to be the person that's just like, ugh. Only what's all they want to do is tell you about how great all their stuff. But it's like there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes that's thankless and shitty. No matter what you do, mm-hmm. no matter what your job is. So like, I understand that, and I try to. That is the place of empathy I come from. Where I'm like, I don't care if your job is, uh, fucking whatever. Like there is, if you're excited about something, like. I'm on board. I want to hear about it. And like, I'll try to relate to it as best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I I try to empathize all the times I've gone through that where I'm like, so much work is silent treachery, you know? And like, yeah. people don't, you know, the old adage is like, man, you seem like, a, someone said that to me before, like, man, you sound like you're an overnight success. And I was like, yeah, that overnight success took about seven years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm still not in terms of comedy career, I'm small potatoes, you know, like so much more work is left to be done before, you know, you're at the top of the industry. Yeah. So I think that you try to be mindful of that. You don't ever want to be, I don't ever want to be the person that's like, yeah, so I've got this going. Like, I'm not trying to talk myself up. I think, I remember when I, someone, I think a friend of mine's like, uh, had said one time, he's like, man, you you come in like a lamb and out like a lion. And I dig that about you. And I was like, what's that mean? <laughs> he's just like, you just kind of come in with like a quiet resolve. And he's like, but then, you know, and I think it was like a project where I got brought on as just like a kind of an afterthought to a project. And he's like, do within, you know, six months, you were the, you were pretty much churning out you were kind of directing the ship and he's like, you didn't get brought on that way. You didn't come in and like with your chest puffed out and making a bunch of noise, you just kind of sat at the table and next thing we knew, like your voice was just, your voice did all the talking in terms of your comedy voice or whatever. And right. not like, I would much rather have that said about me than the opposite. It's like, yeah, he comes in like a lion, but he's a real fucking turd on the back end of work. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. So. No, there, there's a there's a balance. <clears throat> Sometimes those lions get stuff in showbiz, though, and that that can, I'm sure it has cost me. Mm, yeah. If you're not, you're not able to self-promote enough. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. It's, I hate, like, every time I do a hashtag, I feel like a little part of me dies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you gotta... you gotta it's part of it. Broadcast. Uh-huh. Um, but, I mean, just in terms of talking about... of course, Yeah, of course, you know, I had some friends ask me, like, even some people close to me, like, that were almost hurt that I, like, why didn't you tell me you're writing a book? And I'm like... Because well, it's the scariest I, thing it, I've ever done in my life. Yeah, <laughs> like, people don't realize exactly that. Yeah. that. I'm like, I, I didn't know that I'd finish it. Sure. Each chapter, I got I, I like, well, maybe that's the last one in me. I don't know. Yeah. And you're that that fear of, or if and then there's sometimes you, you if you did share it with someone, they'd be like, yeah, I tried to do that once ten years ago and I failed. And but good luck. You know, yeah. there's there's people that will like. Kind I'll of, never forget, dude. This. Because it pertained, and I mean interrupt you. Go ahead. Sure. No, go ahead. I, man, I was in college. I was probably in like I was. I had a friend that was like, uh, "Hey, man, I work with this lady, and her husband is a comedian." And uh, I arranged for you to have a phone call with this guy. 
because I know you're interested and you're trying to figure it out. And I was living in like Carbondale, Illinois. There's still like small Southern Illinois, no comedy clubs. I think I had like gone up at a music open mic and tried to tell jokes and ate it real hard. Like, it, and you know, I don't even count that as my comedy career. Just a couple, and I was super hammered. Yeah, which didn't help. Super drunk, doing bro humor in a bar full of bros. Right. Who want to hear music? <laughs> right. It's just awful. <laughs> right. But my friend knew that, like, that was my real dream. Like, Saturday Night Live, stand-up comedy, had been something I've been talking about. <clears throat> and he arranged for a phone call with the guy, and the guy could not have been more bitter and, like, just a fucking dream squasher. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I get the... Con There's some things I understand now where he was coming from. At the time, I didn't. But I'm like, I'll never be that guy for somebody coming up. Mm -hmm. Like, and that happens a lot. Like, I called him like, yeah, so, you know, I want to, you know, nothing, there's no blueprint. I'd be like, how do you be a comedian? He's like, how do you be a comedian? You give up your whole fucking life for nothing, for a dream that's never going to come true. <laughs> I mean, that was essentially like, that was the tone of the phone call. And he's like, if you're lucky, uh, you might make enough money to like have it as a part-time gig. Wow. You'll watch all these other people less talented than you uh, get deals while you're slugging it away in the clubs. A bunch of drunks over cigarette smoke who don't care what you have to say. And it was just like, <clears throat> Jesus Christ, man. I'm, <clears throat> you know, I'm a young guy. <clears throat> he was just bitter. And yeah. Like, <clears throat> excuse me. He was bitter and just, I'll never forget that phone call because I was like, man. That guy seemed like a fucking asshole. <laughs> right. And there were parts of what he said that I 100% understand where he was coming from. Mm -hmm. But that phone call wasn't for me. That was supposed to be him doing a favor and like mentoring a young person. Yeah. It wasn't that. Yeah. That phone call was for him yeah. to come in and like dump all his baggage. Right, right. He That should have been a conversation with this therapist or something. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, and then like that was the first, like that was my first experience with telling someone I wanted to be a comedian. Wow. Well, you did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, then I was like, ooh, <laughs> keep that under your hat, bud. <laughs> right. So I totally understand that, yeah. what you That just made me think of that. I'm sorry. I didn't yeah, no, no, no. Just like, um, I think because you are, you've got a vision and you know how to work at it systematically. Um, that helps you succeed. And because you because you understand and are willing to do the hard work behind the scenes, I think you support other people that are doing that. And just mm. as as a as a as a friend, I've always appreciated that about you. Because sometimes when you when you want to do something new, well, I I I wrote, I, I wrote about this in the book about how. You know, as as our improv coach, you you ask us what you were trying to motivate us and ask us, you know, that one if we could do anything. I don't remember exactly how you phrased the question. Sure, one thing you'd do if you couldn't fail or whatever. And I, I have, I just jokingly said something about having this party, like, you know, like Bilbo Baggins when he had a hundred eleventh birthday party. Yeah, and and each one of us said something, and then you you wrote this really heartfelt reason why we should do that now. You know, essentially life short. That's what you want to do. Do it right, and 
your answer, I, I said it jokingly because I was scared to say what I really wanted mm-hmm. because of a lifetime of people like this guy you're talking to, whether sure. it was my mom, you know, I said I wanted to be a, an astronaut. She's like, well, you wear glasses, you'll never be able to do that. <laughs> and then I, I want to be a lawyer. Well, you have an Italian last name, you couldn't be a lawyer. I mean, she was always telling me the reasons I couldn't be things for <laughs> You know, so that that is kind of like my you know beginning. What but, a weird, <clears throat> yeah. What a weird two reasons. I, exactly, but so that's what I, I was fighting it. All, and sometimes you hear those kind of things long enough, and even when the person's not in your world anymore, you carry that voice with you. Oh, so I started self yeah, self <clears throat> editing. Uh-huh. So you, along with you know the work I was doing with therapy and coaches, you're telling me like hey, you got permission to do that. Was the reason I said, yeah, to go in, yes, to go into um, taking my kids to Germany, something yeah. I'd wanted to do for 20 years. And then I realized, I, race, I can do that. And just, just your kind word there did that, which opened up a whole series of, of, of fun things. So those, those, that, that aspect of you, that you carry through your own work and through your own life is impacting other people. And that's cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You try to put that out there, you know, and like, um, that's nice to hear that, that there's some dividends being paid because it doesn't always work, you know, but you never know when that, if your kind word might be the one that puts, because I think I've read somewhere that like takes 10 positives to undo one negative Mm -hmm. because that's the way our mind works. So for, Every time someone told you, you can't do that. Why would you think you could do that? Yeah. You need 10 people to tell you you can do that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you might only be the fourth person, but you're one step closer to that 10th person telling you. Exactly. And then maybe, you know, so like I'm just throwing a log on the pile because I really do believe that. I think that like, and dude, I, you know, like everybody has their own demon monkey in their head. Like I do too. Yeah. I got my own inner, I have plenty of stuff I should have gone to therapy. I mean, I drank away in my 20s because I had daddy issues essentially, mm. which is so cliche and sad. But like it just, you know, uh, I went from being like a caring, thoughtful kid person because I always was that person to like rebel without a cause. And I, it was a, choice it was a personal shift and a choice to be like i'm gonna do whatever i want and i'm gonna be selfish and i'm gonna drink and i don't really care i'm gonna party and i don't really care how my behavior affects other people and it was hollow Mm. and empty and you know disgust it got to a point of disgust self-disgust and like i can be a powerful motivator you know yeah uh it's not the best one i don't recommend it if you can avoid it but like sometimes you got to get to that like point where you're just like, man, who are you? Yeah, what are you doing? And and really have that confrontation with yourself. And um, so you know that demon still lives up there. Everybody's got regrets and things that. It's weird how the human brain works because I feel like every at least every other morning in the shower, the worst thing I've ever done in my life will just decide it's going to come right up to the frontal lobe and knock and say hello mm-hmm. for no reason. I won't even be able to just be like, weird, you know, it'll be just like things that personal shames from childhood and things like that. Like they're in there. Yeah. Yeah. You may think you got them put there they might, you may think they're in the caboose, but they'll come knock on the engine room door about once or twice a day. 
just for no reason. Right. And just be like, hey, remember that? Remember that thing you did? Yeah, remember how? Remember what a weird thing you did when you were nine? Right. And you're just like, yeah, I remember, <laughs> God damn it. I don't need you. And he's like, I just want to make sure you remember it. I just want to make sure. And then like, the little thought goes back. He's like, I'm going to be in the caboose. Just remember, I am back there. And I'm like, I remember you remind me goddamn almost every day. And it's like, that's just how the human brain, at least my brain works. Yeah, yeah, you'll remember something you regret that you did and that was, yeah. yeah. Just, yes, regret, embarrassment, you know, right. something. Uh, or maybe you hurt someone and, Intentionally or unintentionally, and you're just like, ah, man. I think that's a good sign of growth as a human, mm -hmm. that you care, that those things bother you. True. So there, there is a positive side to that, but then it can also, like, spin your day out. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to be able to suss out, like, that was a bad thing I did, and not that makes me a bad person. Do you it's, know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, that's a slippery slope. With a, even with a therapist, it's slippery when you're self when you're just navigating it by yourself, it can be real slippery. Absolutely. My, uh, the coach that I worked with, she's, she's uh, and I did, a, I did a session with her yet. It hasn't been released yet. It'll, uh, I think, be number seven. Um, I was going through a lot of hard things and, you know, just, it was, so, it was, so life coaching isn't therapy, but there's a lot of similarities. Oh, yeah. But there were some people I was having some struggles with and she taught me this mantra that also is good for yourself. And she said, when you think of this, just say to that person, even if it's yourself, I forgive you so that I can be free. And that, when, that, when someone, I'd start remembering something was said or something I did and I'd say that, it just felt like a magic spell, man. What like, was it? I forgive you so that I can be free. Yeah, that's good. You know, someone hurt you, someone did something, you're... You mentioned your dad. I've had issues and kids, you know, people in my childhood that I have had to say that to a thousand times. I started going, you're driving yeah. along, like you said in the shower, I'm driving home and all of a sudden I remember something that was said to me and I start getting mad about it and having like an imaginary argument from something that happened 30, 40 years ago. Uh -huh. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I forgive you so that I can be free. I'm just letting, it just lets, it's like, like it's like a ghost that just like recedes, yeah. recedes away. I want to bring back to your your point about your kind of reaction to your childhood and diving into, you know, your your rebel without a cause phase. Sure. Because people, you know, I, you know, I had issues in my childhood that then caused me to like dive in to try to, you know, we all react to things in different ways. So like, mm -hmm. dove into this, you know, career and trying to be. Uh, everything I was doing was trying to not be my dad, not trying to not mm -hmm. not be whatever I didn't like about that situation. Sure. And, and it, it, if you, it, regardless of whether you're going down something that, you know, if it's partying or whatever, or just diving into a life that isn't what you want. Oh, yeah. It's still destructive. You're still wasting time. You, we're only here for this, on this little rock floating through space for a, for a snap, for a little blip of time. And if we're wasting it doing something that's not in our hearts, yeah, then doesn't matter if it's you're running ultra marathons because you're just trying to burn through anxiety, right? Or drinking your life away. It's still, yeah, a diversion. Yeah, and it could be there are successful diversions too. Mm -hmm. and those could be even trickier. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, uh, you know, 
you might be the best accountant in the world, but if you're miserable, little Carlo <laughs> wanted to be a truck driver so he could see the world and you're pent up in a cubicle, you know, and you're just killing your soul, but you're really good at it. Yep. You're the best soul killer, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not saying for all the accountants listening, I'm sure you have a rewarding career. I just randomly chose that. Right. As a career where you work indoors. Uh, it could be anything. Mm -hmm. Um but you know, there are, that happened too, where I was like expectations that were put on me from where I grew up. You know, some of the funniest and most intelligent people I grew up with, the still are some of the funniest people I know. You know, work at a sheet metal plant. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with working at a sheet metal plant. But that was the thing was I see a lot of people who didn't see any options past that. Right. I don't know that they love working at a sheet metal plant. Some of them do, and that's cool. And I never will look down on anyone. Like, I think I think society does that too. They look down on certain jobs. Mm -hmm. I'll never do that. Like, I think you know, all work is good work. It can be rewarding work if you take pride in it. Mm -hmm. And that I really do believe that it's not lip service or hyperbole or. You know, I'm not trying to take Mike Rowe's position on a TV show. I I really do think that. And sometimes I think I have, a, you know, there's some truth to, like, college being a lie and some of those trades that get looked down on. I'm like, I know a lot of dudes that didn't go to college and just busted their ass and learned construction, and now they're, like, general contractors, and they do well. Oh, yeah. They take, they do, they're not struggling. Uh, doing a lot better than my friends with master's degrees who are, you know, working in hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and working a job that pays one-third of what my contractor friends are making. Mm -hmm. Trying to pay back all that debt for a piece of paper that has no equity. Exactly. <laughs> so I will be the first one to stand up and say, like, uh, don't sleep on, on tradesmen jobs, tradespeople. Right. But in the context of our conversation, you know, I think that that, you could try on these because I think a lot about being a young man. Like I, I try, you try on personalities, right? Because you don't know who you are. You're fucking. No one knows. Yeah, we're all full of shit. Nobody knows who we are. Well, there's a few self-actualized young people. They are diamonds in the rough. It's very rare, right? But for the most part, it's like eh, maybe I'm the guy that wears a trench coat. You know, <laughs> yeah. and it's like you try that out for a while, and they're like, everyone's like, and you usually have friends that are like, "What the fuck, dude?" <laughs> right. And your friends make fun of the trench coat, and you take it off. Yeah, you don't wear it again. You know, and it's like uh, whatever. Right. Or your friends are trench coat guys, and they like it. Right. And that's who you are, and that's or the personality. You know. I have a cousin who like went through the whole gambit of like he loved nineties gangster rap and he wore like a do rag for a while and got a <laughs> bunch of jewelry and then now he's like a cowboy. It couldn't be the furthest <laughs> He literally like wears a cowboy hat everywhere you go and it's cool. I'm like, you just you were trying stuff out, trying to figure out who you were and that you landed on cowboy and you stayed there. There you go. And that happens. But um I think that can happen like those expectations, you know. I didn't live in a place where the arts was really seemed like a reality or seemed like was encouraged. Mm -hmm. It was more pragmatic. It's people grew up. I was poor. I was the poorest kid in a poor school. Like the kid we called Rich Boy in my school, we called him Rich Boy because he had a second story on his house. That was right. how. <laughs> right. That was our. That's how we measured wealth. The the, the elevation of your bedroom <laughs> right. was apparently. 
Like, oh, you, you're 13 feet high in the air. Whoa, look at you. <laughs> Looking down on us from your ivory tower. You know, and it's like, uh, when you live in a trailer, a second story home seems like a mansion. Yeah. So it's all relative mm -hmm. to where you're from. And uh, so a lot of that stuff was like, you know, go to school, get your degree in criminal justice, become a cop, you know, become, a lot of it was like governmental stuff. A lot of prisons where I'm from, prison guard, a lot of prison guards, good mm. government jobs. So you start thinking in those terms. Yeah. And if you think outside of that, there's, you don't really have a mentor. There's no one there. I remember asking my drama slash honors English teacher, who's still one of my favorites, Jeannie Carando. I love her. Just like, how do you, I want to do SNL. How would I do that? And this is pre-internet, you know. This is when the internet was in the library. And it was Netscape Navigator, and it took you 20 minutes to get an answer to one question. And that's if it existed at the time. Right. And I was like, how do I get on Saturday Night Live? She goes, what? And I was like, if I want to do Saturday Night Live, like, what do I do? And she's like, um, I don't know. And that was the end of the conversation. And there was no one to ask, you know. Like, now you can... Get on the internet and it'll just, just straight up some guy that's written a blog about it. Yeah. Be like, go or to Second it, City, do this, do this, this, this. Or interviews by people that are on it. Yeah. So, like, it was just a different time. Mm -hmm. And I tried to, like, did the Army thing. I went and played college football, which I liked sports, but it really wasn't my passion and fell out of love quickly with that. And then, you know, became a young dad. Didn't do great at that. Kind of ran away from responsibilities early on because I didn't want to be my father. And I, you know, I have regrets about that. Um, I have a good relationship with my son now, but it's like, you know, there are always things in that relationship you'll regret. That's yeah. the hardest one to navigate. And you were a kid, child. you were a kid then, like you said, going through trying to figure out who you were. And Sure. Just yeah. because you're 18 doesn't make you an adult. I don't care what anyone says. I know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it just doesn't. No. Like, there's just some arbitrary age. That, like, you know, you have to know everything now. <laughs> right. And you're like, yeah, but like yesterday I was 17. I didn't know shit. Right. Five years ago. What was, happened when I fell asleep? Yeah, playing G.I. Joe dials. Yeah, or, yeah. Or whatever. So, I think that happens a lot. So, I'm sure that happened with you as well, you know. It's like, yeah. I, I didn't feel like, I felt like until I was 30-something that I was, pre, that I was faking it. Yeah. Like I had a I had a house, I had a car, and I had a family, and I had all the things that adults are supposed to have. But you know, when you're 28, you know, 10 years ago you were 18 and, and you know, you know that you weren't that many years before you were just a little kid. And you remember all that. It's just so much closer in your life. So all of a sudden you're with ad adults that have 30, 40 years more experience than you and you're you feel like you're faking it. Oh yeah, you know, like it's, imposter syndrome never goes away, no matter what you're doing. There's but. different elements. Yeah, there's it, it. It changes though. Yeah, it changes. Um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, but it's. I'm just, I'm just kind of looking, looking at where you are and what you do, and thinking, you know, there's, there's that aspect of you that knew what you wanted, and then those the structures of sports and the army both might be where some of some of your your um, whether if you had it before or you or it was developed in that, yeah. your, some of your work ethic of like just pushing through and doing the things you got to do. Maybe, yeah. That I, you know, residually. Mm -hmm. I also think that being up against it, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. A little bit, 
where I have a really good friend. He's my best friend. Been my best friend since we were children. And, uh, you know, he's a workman's comp attorney now. And he's one of those guys. I love him. And uh, there's times I will talk on the phone and I'm like, what's going on? He's like, just work and work and work and take, you know, kids got ball games. Wife's got this, da, da, da. And I'm like, what do you got going on, man? He goes, I told you, I'm working. And I go, yeah, but what, like, what do you have going on? And he's just like, uh, nothing, man. I just don't have time. And I'm like, times I'm like, hey, man, take some time for yourself because you're going, I'm glad you're working and taking care of your family and that's admirable, but, you know, I can hear it in his voice that I'm just like, take a little time, man. Don't, don't work yourself into the great. Because he was a person that like, when it came to stuff with my, there was some movie with Robert De Niro. Man, I don't remember what it's like a Spanish conquistador or something. Hmm. I don't remember what it's called. You can look it up and put it in the notes of the show. Okay. Uh, but he was like stranded somewhere and he was trying to climb a mountain and he had all of his armor, like his Spanish conquistador armor, like, uh, you know, tied to his waist. And he kept falling, and he kept falling, he kept falling, climbing up the mountain, and until finally, I think it might be called The Mission, now that I'm sitting here thinking of it. And um, there's a point where, like, he's he's just struggling, and, he and, you know, he's at his wit's end, and he can't, he's ready to give up and die, and then he cuts the rope. For the armor. And the armor falls away, and he climbs the mountain, and he gets rescued. Right. And he's like, you're that guy. And all the shit you're carrying around from your childhood is that armor. Mm -hmm. And he's like, it's like a bag of bricks, dude. And it is weighing. He's like, you don't feel it. You don't know it, but it's weighing you down. And uh, there's some truth to that. Like, he was, you know, there was some truth to what he said. And then he also told me during when I was probably at a point where I was going to reach the event horizon where... It was either you got to turn your life around or this is who you are. You, you're you're headed down a real bad path. You know, he was like, um, I think you could be the funniest person in the world and you're going to settle to be the funniest person in the bar. And that makes me sad for you. Wow. And of course, at that time, I was like, fuck you, man. You don't know me. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, man. But he was right. Wow. He was and he loved me enough to say it to my face, mm -hmm. you know? and like you get, you only need one, or two, one to three people like that in your life, and mm -hmm. they'll keep you on. You need people around you to keep you honest. Yeah, about who you that really know you. Yep, that it, really know what you want, who you are, and where your heart is. Yeah. Um. So like, I'm always grateful for that, and I think he's, you know, he that pulled me out of the tailspin I was in with drinking and drugs. Uh huh. And, and helped me get back on the road to recovery. And then I think it made me deal with some of those issues where I did the thing. If I said I forgave my father, whether he asked for it or not. Mm -hmm. and the mantra I was told was if he knew better, he'd do better. There you go. Yep. He doesn't know better. That's not my fault. And I kind of let that go. Yeah. Uh, and it was very freeing. And it's like, I don't want to hang out with him. He's still a fucking asshole. Uh-huh. I don't really have a relationship with him, but that is okay. Right. That doesn't mean I have to carry around that that hate in your heart or that, like, mm -hmm. that's the armor that gets cut away and you can let that shit go yeah. and move on. And that was very freeing. 
And then I think that, so then in the world of comedy especially, which is a very ageist, showbiz period is very ageist, you know. So I'm getting started at 33. And I'm like, all right, for all intents and purposes, you're too old to do this. You know, it was very much shit or get off the pot. You either got to start, it's going to take you five years to get good. That's going to be your late 30s. That's if you're really good. Right. Sometimes it takes 10 years to get good, you know. It's, yeah. They say it's 10 years in comedy before you even start to see residuals. Um, and I was like, you got to speed it up. Mm. It has to be faster than that for you. So how do you take this thing that is a detriment, which is broken childhood, wasted time, a decade of decadence and drugs and alcohol. How do you turn that? How do you turn that negative into a positive? How do you take that and make it work in your favor? And it's like, well, the thing I have that a twenty-year-old version of me doesn't have is a very deep well to draw from. Yep. So that's one thing. The second thing was, you can't do anything about how old you are. You know, and there was this old story that was like, gosh, you know, my friend wanted to be an attorney. She just got divorced. And she's like, oh, it's going to be four years and then three years of law school. And, you know, I'm already 30. I'd be a 40-year-old. I'd be a 38-year-old attorney just starting out. And, you know, the guy was like, well, how old will you be in eight years if you don't go to law school? You're going to get old. Everybody's going to get old. So all the people listening that are young and you you make fun of all the people older than you, you're going to get there. Or you're going to be fucking dead. Yeah. Which sucks worse. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe show a little <laughs> love and compassion because I promise you it's going to happen quicker than you think. And um, so it was like the one thing that I can control is I, can, I can't control my age. I can't control uh, when I started and I can't go back and change anything. But the thing I don't have on my side is time. Right. So there has to be a way for me to make that up. And the way that I work, that became like the thing that clicked in my mind was like, if you work really hard and you take advantage of your experience in life, maybe you can offset some of the, the, the years that you lost, you know, drowning your sorrows in a bottle. Yeah. And I think that is where like, the click of like, this is like, have a routine, have a five-year plan, have all these things, and uh, go out and work towards those goals. And some of them, they, some happen, some don't. Mm -hmm. Some shift. Some failures feel like failures in the moment become successes later on because they lead to something bigger. Right. All that stuff, ha it's all real. It all happens. I mean, I'm living proof that that, that, that happens. That's, you hit on a lot of really important things there. Yeah, um, sorry, I was rambling. No, 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 no. There's, I, I, so I, I made some notes. So, like, one of them was you having that memory of that guy saying that you know you can be the funniest guy in the world, the funniest guy in this bar. There's like to me, I've had different moments like that in my life where I, I think of that as someone holding up a mirror, and you're that that reaction, that a few reaction you had, because yeah. it hurt. Because there's a part of you that probably knew it. Or accepted it and didn't want to believe it, or later you did. You know, mm -hmm. when 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 someone loves us enough to hold that mirror up, and or if we if if we accidentally do it ourselves, and you turn one day and go, ah, you know, if you if you just I had that, yeah, yeah. If you just you can you can choose to push it down back into the 
nether of your mind. <laughs> the recesses. Yeah. yeah. And just say, oh, that, that's not a real thing or whatever. Or you can look at that and go, what is that? What is that true? And then, you know, your point about, you know, the, the five years go by or the time, you know, if you, if you don't, well, I did, regretting all the things you didn't do, wishing, mm -hmm. I wish I, I've had people, I wish I could have learned this language when I was young. Well, we'll do it now. Do it yeah. now. Like, you know, that, like we, we I said, we don't, you, know, we can get, you can get hit by a bus tomorrow. Do, do, you're going to like, if you want to try to do something, try, try it now. Don't, don't yeah. be sad about, well, my mom couldn't afford to give me violin lessons, so I'll never play an instrument. Well, so what? Try it, try it. Yeah. Um, and so, and then, yeah, leveraging your experience is a, is a huge thing. You know, whatever it is you're trying to do. I, you know, I think this, 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 I don't know what this will turn into or what I'm doing with this, but like sure. the, the, the experience I had talking with people as a financial planner for 25 years was, it was just conversations and getting to know people and trying to understand them is, mm -hmm. is a, is a skill set that then you, okay, well, leverage that into, to, to something different. Um, and then I want to hit back on the point about, you know, your, the, the person you mentioned that was, that was a, some kind of an attorney. What was that? It's my friend, yeah. The, the, That's the guy that said all those things. Yeah, yeah. And and um, you know, as a financial advisor, I've I've worked with people that, you know, they get to 60 or 65, and they've done that for so long that when you know I've had these conversations, okay, so you're gonna retire. What what are you gonna do? They don't know. Yeah. They're so far away from they've pushed back their passions of whatever they wanted to do in third grade yeah. for so many decades. Yeah. They don't even know they don't know. Yeah. And that's you got all the, the money in the world to do what they want and they don't know what it is. Oh well, yeah. And that after years of seeing that scared me. And you know, it's fortunate I was able to kind of Dive back into some of those things, and when I see when I see you and other people I know that are doing that now, I, it it makes me makes me happy for you, for for you personally, and then the example sure. you're setting for people all around you. Well, so. I appreciate that, but there are also times that, like, I'll be honest, like I have to remember, I don't look at comedy like a job. Because, I mean, it is a job, but it's also like I tr really love it and I enjoy it and I get joy from it. Mm -hmm. But in the same way that he may get joy from being an attorney, like that might be, you know, where he draws his self-worth. And, and when I have that conversations with him, where I'm like, well, hey, man, take, take time for you. It's not all about that. Mm -hmm. I could just as easily be talking to the guy in the mirror. Okay. And I have to be wary of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's easy for me to be like, hey, man, come on. Yeah. Rafe knows what you need. And then I, when I really look at my own life, I'm like, uh, you know, you've ignored your physical health. Like, I haven't been on top of like, and there's times like if I don't go through my morning ritual, if I don't do these things I've set for myself, which is also a lot of people like, you know, my girlfriend and, and Bobby will make fun of me and be like, Oh, uh, Rafe's got to sit down and write, you know, because like that's where real comedy comes from—is forcing yourself to sit down. And I'm like, yeah, I'm different like that, but also like, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And also, it's part of my sobriety. Mm. It's giving myself appointments and jobs to do 
Like that's part of how I got sober and stayed sober. So like that's cool. But this year's my I want my focus to be a little more taking some time and having some balance too of like not everything has to be, you know, get up, write a sketch, write some stand up, work on your pilot, uh do some Instagram content. And it's like yeah, yeah. It, you do have to work hard at it, but it's like Balance is a read a thing. book that's also about comedy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, and it's like it feels good because I'm like, well, I accomplished a lot today, but I'm like, what did you do that wasn't in service of of this obsession? Mm-hmm. And if you can't honestly say like, well, I still I took some time for something else, then that obsession, even if you love it, can become unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I had to like admit that about myself a little bit this year where I was like, okay, let's take a step back and say, give yourself permission, lay it to be like, you know, I think like the pressure that I put on myself, the pressure I put on myself and the criticism that I give to myself, no one could ever match it. You know, I still get my feelings hurt. Criticism hurts. And like, you know, I still feel pressure, but it's like I wish that my you're my worst critics. I'm like you can't you hold a candle to the voice in my head. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you say whatever the fuck you want about me. Like I've said worse. You should hear. That's like the guy coming from the caboose in the shower. That's like, hey man, <laughs> feeling good today? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> guess what? Remember that time that that girl really needed you to be her friend, but you asked her if she wanted to fuck instead. Okay. And I was like, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I remember when I. When I betrayed my one of my friends' friendship by asking them if they wanted to have a relationship, she's like, "Yeah, it was a real shithead move, wasn't it?" And I was like, "Yeah, it was a shithead move, man. Thanks for bringing it up." He's like, "No problem. I'll be in the caboose." And it's like, <laughs> you know, that stuff, yeah, comes up and it happens. Like, so I I try to bear that in mind too, man. I'm like, well, you're be, yeah, be gentle as you can with yourself. It's really hard. It's the hardest fucking thing to do. It is. To extend the kindness and forgiveness that I give to others, to myself, is the most challenging thing mm-hmm. in my life. Well, and that that can happen, and I follow sometimes, like, um, sometimes people with big hearts that are constantly trying to be caretakers for others are doing that because they're not doing that for themselves. Yeah. They're giving the love to other ones that they're not love, not the yeah. love they're not giving to themselves. And so, but being aware of that's the first step towards addressing it. Yeah, hopefully, anyway. Yeah. Um, or at least making an attempt to address it, right? Exactly. And it's like, a, that's why there's no, so like, that's, there's no done. There's no like being enlightened or being. Uh, not not in the cultural sense that it's used, but like the whole concept of like being awoken or being woke is not a destination. It's not a box to check. No. It's a continual process. There's always another level. Yeah. I just, yeah. I was just, I just finished today reading uh, the electric Kool-Aid acid test, which is the story of like Ken Kesey and the guy who wrote, he wrote One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest okay. and became like an acid guru of the 70s, you know, along with, like, Timothy Leary and people like that. And uh, There was somebody, there was a line in the book that stuck out to me, you know, and it's cliche, but sometimes cliches are cliches because they are profound and true, and it's like, you know, the guy was like, life's a circle, man. You end up where you start, 
So you might as well enjoy the trip because that's what it's really about. <laughs> it's yeah. like, kind of is true. I mean, you came from nothing, you returned to nothing, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's where we're all headed. Yeah. Uh, and there may be an afterlife, but that's not a guarantee. Yeah. And it, it's about the journey. I mean, it's what this podcast is about, right? It's it, like... Exactly. Why are you? Why are we here? I read a really cool book about about reincarnation, and whether that's true or not, this author's what they drew from it is that you know we're coming here and we choose this life and we choose our parents and we choose all those things for whatever lessons we're supposed to learn. Right. And the book was really it was called Many Masters, Many Lives. It was really compelling, but I got done with it and I closed it and I was in this this sort of like you know balance of like either that's true or it's it's just you know it's all nonsense but regardless what a cool way of looking at your life yeah like you look of all those things that happened and you just ask yourself okay if i chose all that why what 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 lesson was i supposed to learn was i supposed to learn forgiveness was i these thing bad things happened because I needed to learn how to forgive people. I need to learn how to be a better person. Mm -hmm. And I think just having that, that's really kind of helped me reframe some th certain things in my life, whatever's happening. What am mm -hmm. I supposed to learn from this? What am I supposed to take from this? If this happened on purpose, why? Yeah, that's a good, take the lesson and move on. Yeah. It's hard because yeah. sometimes there's like anger and resentment and bitterness and all these things, like yeah. especially if someone hurts you. Yeah. But that, yeah. Shit, is, that shit is toxic. Absolutely. It's that bad whole. for you. I mean, I, and I say that fully knowing that I have those things sure. in my heart Same. for certain situations that have happened to me. And yeah. I've also noticed, you know, it's such a strange thing because I know that if you would have told me seven years ago that I'd be where I am right now, I would have been jumping for joy at the accomplishment because it is progression mm -hmm. right yeah but where i am now i have all the same concerns i had then of like what's next uh you know i've hit a you know i feel like i'm playing a video game where i get to the end i i get to the end of the level and i can't find the i'm like all right i pulled the torch and then i'll fuck it <laughs> it's a trap door and i've got to start back at the <laughs> checkpoint then i went back through and i pulled the other torch and i fell through the it's like you're through process of elimination, eventually, I know that this wall moves. Right. I can see it's a different color than the rest of the walls in the video game. I know that the next level is behind this wall. How do I get to that next level? Yeah. And, you know, you don't ever enjoy the level you're at. Mm -hmm. And I'm bad about that. And I'm really trying to get better at being present and being like, this is not... I haven't had to... I haven't had to work a job that I didn't want to do in three years. Three and a half years. With the exception of taking a few commercial writing jobs that were like probably not creatively fulfilling, but at the same time, it was freelance work. It was my it was up to me to say yes or no. Yep. I didn't have to punch a clock. I didn't have anybody telling me, you know, you, you better be here at seven AM tomorrow. It, it was all work that I made and wanted for myself. And if you'd have told me that, you know, when I was in grad school and tending bar and and working 40 hours a week and going to full-time school and still trying to do comedy on the side that like hey in 5 years you're going to be full-time comedian i would have been 
raging happy. Yeah. But it's like the bar is always moving. Mm -hmm. And it's going to keep moving. I work with comedians that, to me, they're famous all the time. And it took me a while to realize this because I'm always like, you know, you think as a young comic, you're like, I hope this person likes me and they really help my career. And some have. There are some people that will go to bat for you. Kyle Kinane's done a lot for me. Beth Stelling's a sweetheart. She's done some stuff for me without being asked. Cool. That you meet people like that along the way. Yeah. But sometimes, for the most part, I'll meet comics that I'm like, you're famous, dude. You're, you're famous. You get to go around. You're the headliner. You've been on Conan. You did it. And to th they feel like failures. They feel like they are not whatever they perceive the next level of to be. Yep. So if that's Mount Rushmore of comedy, then that's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, if it's a career in movies, if it's getting a sitcom, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the next level is once you're like working the cellar every night and you're able to go out and pretty much have a comedy career for the rest of your life and you have a fan base. Right. They still are looking for that missing ingredient. So I'm like, oh, okay. So this... I can either keep kicking happiness down the road or just be like, find a way to enjoy this. It's okay to want more and strive for more, but don't let that become your singular obsession to where you're not enjoying any other aspects of your life. That's, that's profound. That, um, several years ago, I did a, it's this entrepreneurial coaching program called The Strategic Coach. And uh, he's had, the guy had a lot of really cool concepts in there to kind of help protect your mindset and protect your confidence. And one of the things he talked about was avoiding the gap. And if the gap is that exactly what you talked about, about moving that bar. He's like, when you, when you set a goal and you reach it, celebrate it. Yeah. He goes, most entre he, the, the, the program was for entrepreneurs, but that's, you are, you're an entrepreneur, you, you know. So like we, we, we hit a goal and instead of going, wow, you know, a year ago, if I would have had this kind of a show or done this kind of a thing, it would have been just a dream. But as soon as we get closer to the bar or the goal, we start looking at, well, if, if I'm almost here, then I can do this. And then we blow right past it without ever celebrating. Mm -hmm. And then we do that to also, if you've, the more people that have employees or in team members and family members, they, they do the same thing and they never take time to go, wow, we did this, we did this thing and this was, we should celebrate and and mm -hmm. and 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 remember it somehow and and be grateful and then go to the next thing and even when you get you know if someone ends up on on a TV show or does a, what if that's what if that's their peak and they don't they don't do that again right. are they going to be sad the rest of their life because then sometimes they didn't, yeah yeah and so I mean how many times have you heard that story mm -hmm. you know. Or people yeah, with money, like if, if, if I, people that are worth this amount, if I'm worth this amount, then I'll be happy. And then this amount, I'll be happy. And that's why, you, you, know, I, you know, I've met people that are worth, and they, they could do anything they want. They're not happy with what they're doing, mm -hmm. but it, they're, it, it's never enough. And so they can't stop because the money, and it's like, well, I, sure. they need a, a balance sheet that's this before they're happy or reach this with their career and they're happy. And it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, we're floating around in space on this little rock. Yeah. All we have right, the whole thing is, it's cliche, but all we have is right now, you know, and you're thinking about like being being grateful about being here and having this chance. And sure. Those, those are important. It's hard. And it's, and again, I'm, I'm that, I'm you now. I'm saying that because I'm constantly trying to tell myself that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And like, that's when, if you can make kindness a practice. 
that's the closest you're going to get to show. Like, if you're mean to everyone else, you for sure aren't going to be nice to yourself. No. Right? Right. So for me, it's like, uh, like try to practice kindness. And, like, you're never going to feel bad that you were kind to someone. No. With the except, there's an exceptional asshole every once in a while where I'm like, <laughs> they'll surprise me where I'm like, man, I showed that person nothing but kindness and they bit me like a fucking snake. Yeah. But that's not on me. No. There's, you know what I mean? That's on them. Right. And it's like, don't be that person. Mm-hmm. There's times it's competitive and comedy can be a real weird head fuck anyway because, you know, a lot of your friends, you got to fight. You'll catch them being jealous of you or you'll catch yourself being jealous of them. And you got to be able to compartmentalize that and be like, this is a me thing. Be happy for your friend. Yeah. You can't get everything. Right. You can't get everything. And if you have everything... You know, like, what good is it if you don't have anyone to share it with? Exactly. If you've alienated everyone along the way to get this thing you want, and then you're, you know, you're sitting on your, you know, your smog or whatever, you're the dragon <laughs> sitting on his pile of gold. Right. It's like, right. Who gives a shit? If, if, uh, that call you made with the guy that was kind of bitter and upset and not happy when you were in college. <laughs> yeah. Let's say let's say that you get that call, or you Rafe. I've Rafe, had that call. Rafe from the okay. What do you What are you telling that 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 person? Practical or, advice. Yes. On how to get started because that's all I wanted, and the guy knew that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. He just took the opportunity to shit on me. Right. Because here's the thing. Comedy's very like weird. It's a weird little tribe of like secrets, right? <laughs> yeah. Because everybody, it's competitive, and they secret taught, sauce. Yeah, they've taught you that there's this pie, and there's like a, there's a Tonight Show slice and a Conan slice and a work in the club slice and all these little slices that, and then once someone gets a slice, that's one less slice uh, you're likely to get. Okay. So as far as processes go, that's like prying fucking. You know, that's like prying a gun out of a cold, dead Republican's hands. Like, it is fucking... <laughs> they don't want to let go of, like... You know, and I'll I'll just tell people what I... What works for me. And I I keep waiting for someone to tell me, like, a better way. Because I want to be like, man, I it's, I struggle. But, like, I get some good stuff, too. But I there's got to be somebody out there that's like, here's what I do. I keep... And, like, I anytime someone gives me information, like... I'll tell them, like, get these books. Devour information about comedy. If it's really what you want to do, devour everything you can. Watch comedy. So many people tell me, like, I don't watch comedy, man. I don't want it to influence me. And I'm like, you're not good enough. (laughs) I'm not good enough to worry about that yet. So, like, don't let it influence you. Yeah. Everybody's influenced by someone. Decide. That's how you know what your taste is. What do you think is funny? Right? Yeah. And it's okay if you're doing a shitty impression of your favorite comic at first. You'll eventually find your own voice. And I'll be like, go to Mike's, do this. Here's four pragmatic things you can do. Perfect. Uh, it takes time. Be patient. And if you stick with it, you'll get better. Don't get discouraged. You know, I have a boilerplate thing that I give to people because it happens a lot. They'll be like, what do you buy? You know, and it's like, not everyone listens. Sometimes people just want to, want you to tell them what they want to hear. Right. 
And I've dealt with that. Sometimes that can be frustrating where I'm like, oh, you don't really want my advice. You just want me to tell you you're good. Yeah. Yeah. So you're good. There you go. Don't tell them they're good. <laughs> and then right. they're like, all right. Unless they're, they're like a horrible, like homophobic, homophobic piece of shit or something. Then I'm like, well, I'm not even going to give them that. I'll right. Like, you, that, shit's t- that shit's dull. Don't do that. Yeah. But then I'll still give them something. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Because everybody just wants, it's scary. It's the hardest, it's the best job in the world. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world. It's a scary thing to do to get up there and talk in front of people, period. Mm-hmm. With the expectation of laughter, it yeah. becomes infinitely harder. So I have respect for anyone who even has the stones to get up there and try it. Right. So if I can be of any assistance, if I'm worried about them taking my job, then I'm not working hard enough. There you go. And that is how I feel about people who shit on, like, people that shit on open micers. I always, like, you know, establish comics where I'm like, well, you were an open mic. It's not like you weren't one. Right. And I'm like, you're still here doing it with them. So what does that make us? (laughs) Like, yeah, their jokes are terrible, but, like, that's what open mics are for. There's no... Yeah. That is the forum for stand-up to get better. That is our, that's, you know, Tuesday night practice. You you gotta be okay being bad at something before you can even be Absolutely. okay. Absolutely, that's like, my biggest thing. Is I'm like failure is the one thing I tell new comics if there's anybody listening is failure is part of this process. You can dictate the amount of failure by how much work you're willing to do off stage. Right. That is always my first piece of advice. Like you are gonna get up there and tell jokes that don't work. Will you go home? That's five minutes of your day. Will you go home and spend hours listening to it and rewriting it and figuring out why they didn't work and Mm -hmm. fixing the problem? Or do you just want to come back and tell the same jokes and watch them not work again and again and again and fail and fail and fail and then eventually quit? Right. Right. Or if you're willing to go home and be like, okay. Well, like I got a little laugh here, so I'll build on that. What was funny about that that wasn't funny about this? How, maybe I could reword this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should have put this first. Maybe the audience didn't know what I was talking about. Because a lot of times it's a um, pro- an, an organizational problem of organizing your thoughts. or It's not that you're not funny or you didn't think of a funny thing. You didn't present it in the right way. Right. Timing and pre- how sure, the order sure, and sure. all that, how you set it up. And yeah, yeah, and sometimes it's just not funny. Yeah. Right. You took a shot. It was funny to you. It wasn't funny to everyone else. Right. That's okay too. But it's like you just you have to resolve that you're going to fail a little bit mm-hmm. in a business where the public is your editor. Yeah. You know? Sometimes people have hard time with notes in any aspect of their life. They Ooh. never ever want to hear that. And, and you generally then there's a lack of self-confidence and they're already not feeling good about themselves and so they just mm-hmm. want to be told you're great. And... We don't learn from that, man. I used, to, I loved it, you know. As your, as when you, as your coach, I loved it when you told me. I didn't want to hear "great job, next person up." Not I always. Know, like what? What? Not always. Not always. No, no. I mean, if it was great, great. But like, there's times like, well, you know, I'm like, that wasn't great, and I don't know why. Or my teacher, my Italian teacher, you know will correct me and and it's like there's certain things I just mis- mistakes I make over and over again and like and, and then all of a sudden I stop making them because she but if she hadn't told me yeah I wouldn't know and yeah. I, you have to be okay after you know I know with the language is like I had to 
I still, I still, I'm still not speaking perfectly, but I'm way better than I was four years ago. And four years ago, I was just struggling to say any, to string a sentence together was really sure. hard. And, uh, but I you had, I had to push past that incompetence to become more and more confident, right. you know? Yeah. And I'll caveat to that because I've been having this conversation a lot lately. And I, and I don't know how much this has to do with the topic of the podcast, but. I think it's just as crucial. I listened to another podcast uh, called Script Notes, and it's about being a writer, mm -hmm. specifically a screenwriter, script writers in Hollywood. And like, they had a really good podcast about notes. And this, this guy had a really good point. And he's like, I think it's just as important for people to learn how to give a note mm -hmm. as it is for people to learn how to take one. True. Yep. Because I think a lot of our fear of taking criticism comes from the type of criticism we're receiving. Mm -hmm. uh, it is an art. There's an art to giving constructive criticism. And one of the things that really stuck with me from that, that this person said, and I wish I could remember their name so I could credit them, but I can't. So check out their podcast. That's their free plug. Cool. Uh, is that don't just because I've dealt with this as a writer and working in groups where I'm like, sometimes people feel like that's a way to validate themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I can't tell you how many times I'll get something approved, and it'll, especially like commercial stuff. It'll go through every channel. They're like, we love this. It's great. It's hilarious. And there'll be one vice president they forgot to loop in. So now all the notes have come back and been addressed. Yep. But now we got to kick it up to Larry and the vice president of bullshit up on the 13th floor. Well, Larry's not going to not give notes. And if we've already fixed all the problems, Larry's going to go looking for a problem. Right. And then we got a new problem because now Larry wants me to do something I had already done and taken out, and it's all become cyclical and circular. And you're like, you know, he said the hardest thing as a writer is to get a note, conflicting notes, which you get all the time. Yeah. A lot of stuff is subjective. Some people like this, other people like that. And he's like, if you're going to tell me I'm a... He's like, because as a writer, you internalize everything. as like, I'm a bad writer, I'm a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. I at least need you to all agree on why I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You can't, and so, like, that's true. That is how you internalize things. That's how, even on your best, even when you can take that, set it aside and be like, that's an overreact. I'm going to fix this. Right. Still initially, you're defending your baby, right? It's like, when you, when you write or create something and you bring it to a table, it's like laying your newborn baby on the table and watching dingoes rip it apart yeah. right and then be like put your baby back together right so be aware of that when you're giving someone a note right that that is how it's going to be received and you know he was like agree you don't have to speak just to hear yourself talk you are allowed to say what you like about it which i think goes a long way right and another you know and he's like Another big thing I got from that was, um, and I love this one, he said, don't just note someone away from something. It's like you can give someone the same note. So for instance, if there's a, say I've written a scene that there's a lot of dialogue between two characters and someone gives a note like, too much dialogue, get rid of it. Okay, that might be true. But I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> You write it. You know, my first thing is like, fuck you. Okay, what do I do then? Right. How do I, you're giving me, 
you're noting me away from something, but you're not giving me a direction to go in. You're just saying like, don't do that. Yeah. Did, you know how you did that? Don't do that. Okay, what should I do? I don't have any advice for you there. You saw Amadeus, right? A uh, long time ago, yeah. When the emperor's like, there's too many notes. <laughs> <laughs> and Amadeus is, which notes should I remove? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect example. <laughs> Better example right there. And he, you know, it's using that same example, not Amadeus, but using the same example of what he was talking about in the podcast. He was like, you could tell the writer, hey, man, reading the whole script in context, I feel like these two characters are close and they really know each other. And a lot of what's being said in the dialogue could be said in the subtext on the way they understand each other. Yeah. And I think if we can pick choice pieces of the dialogue and really get make them and make it pop and make it and make the subtext really deep that the the, the words that we do choose to put on the page can really hit harder. Yeah. You're giving the same note. Yeah. Which is cut the fucking dialogue. But in one way you're telling the person I respect what you've made. I like what you've made. And here's how I think. Uh, I, in from my opinion, I understand what you're trying to accomplish in this scene, and here's how I think we can accomplish it better, mm -hmm. as opposed to being like, "What you did sucked. Change it." Right. So that's really important because I think that is part of the reason people can't take criticisms because they're getting really bad, poorly given criticism. Right. Too right. many notes. Exactly. Too many notes. No, it's no, a no, very I succinct. <laughs> Too many notes. Well, which notes should I take out? Too many. Well, pick a note you don't like. Can't really pinpoint one. Just take it out. So, no, you and you always did a good job of that. But I just, yeah, there's a point. You, you don't want someone to be mean to you, but you you did a good job of like helping guide me to be better, and I appreciated that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, uh. I think uh, I think that covers. I think that about covers it, man. <laughs> I just, we I covered it. Yeah, we think we covered everything. Yeah, we got a lot. We got a lot of stuff in. Yeah. No, I was, we. Uh, Your listener might be like, "Wow, they they really got all over the globe." <laughs> well, that's that's it, you know, it's the journey. That's like, the journey, baby. Right? The whole globe. We're here. We're here for a little bit of time. Uh, you know, my book. I kind of go through my lessons and what I learned. And with this, I want to. Book's great, by the way. Oh, thank you, buddy. Let's do a quick plug, book plug. Uh, the section that I was given to read was excellent. So, yeah. looking forward to first five chapters. Yeah, I read the first five. I'm, let's hope it doesn't trail off at the end. <laughs> <laughs> that was the. That's why I gave you. I didn't give you the chapter six. No. <laughs> All the everything in chapter six on his crayon. There's a lot of pictures. Yeah. No, no, I'm sure it'll be good. It was it was very very well written. It was not, it was good. Thanks, buddy. And uh, but yeah, with this, I was just I want to dive into other people's life. And you're not only someone I like and respect who's helped me, but I think you're doing fun things that I think I know people will learn from from this. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So now. You guys got to meet Rafe, and I uh, I was had fun with that. 
Uh, I got to learn some new things, and I hope there'll be some some fun things you can take from that, from whatever you're trying to do in life. Um, as I was thinking about this this morning, I was I was also doing some reading, and I've started this book on uh, it's called uh, Selected Letters on Letters from the Roman Philosopher Seneca, and uh, there was a line in there that that really worked for today, where he says, uh, "There is only one good thing, which is the origin and protection." of a happy life, comma, to trust oneself, end quote. And so that's that's something that uh, a big lesson I, I, as I was thinking about Rafe, is someone that trusts himself to, to do what he wanted, to trust himself to get up there in front of people, trust himself to get up and try and try and try as he works toward his goals and um, keeps, keeps knocking out milestones. So... Uh, check out Rafe Williams on his website, which is Rafe Williams, R-A-F-E, Williams.com. And you can find all kind of fun stuff that he's working on. Links, a link to where to get his uh, comedy album, Young Grandpa, which is really funny. Um, and then if you are liking this, I'm starting to get some I'm starting to get more and more feedback about my podcast and things. So if you like this, make sure you're telling people sharing this so that more people can find me. So again, you can find my stuff at uh, www.carloblog.com where you can find information about the book, the podcast. Uh, my book now is available on in ebook form and I'm going to start recording the audiobook form soon. So that should be ready hopefully by spring, if not sooner. So that's a wrap. Um, until next time, you know, keep working to say yes to your dreams and enjoy your journey. 